Remember, all talk back to an ears, boys, until show begins. Radio check. Check. You guys uh, about ready? Front of house, you guys good? Front of house is good to go. Stand by. Stage left. Cruising over here, cruising. Ready? Gonna go here, dude. Lee looks good. I have to take that. Dom, Josh, you guys good? Stage right. Go for show, go for show. From Super High Quality Productions, this is season three of the Super High Quality Podcast with the War on Drugs. I mean, it was an, a completely uninteresting and very dark time. Great soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dominic East, and this is Live Drugs Again. When we left off last episode, the band had just finished its U.S. tour in late February 2022. And in mid-March, we headed out on the first of our European tours. For most of us, this was the first time we'd left the country since the start of the pandemic. Armed with our all-important vaccination cards and phones full of apps to cover every type of border crossing, we set off on another epic six-week trip. started that tour in Helsinki. Helsinki, yeah. Welcome back to winter. Putin invaded Ukraine mid-February. It wasn't inconceivable to think like, well, this guy's going to move into Ukraine. Who knows if he's going to take Finland? The war had started maybe a couple weeks prior. I was like, all right, is this fucking stressful enough? Let's just go to this fucking place. So then we're in Helsinki and it was just very strange. You're like reading the news and you're like, oh my God, I'm like, you know, a thousand miles or whatever it is from, from where this is happening. Part of my job is trying to like, I can only do so much, but trying to make sure everyone's safe, you know? I remember, you know, sitting with Craig leading up to the Europe tour where I think he was really nervous. Like this whole thing is getting canceled. It's just one thing after another. I mean, the Euro shows were insane. We were kind of like riding this wave being the first band in after these like government lockdowns. We were like the first concert in Helsinki after the lockdown ended. Every gig we play, the promoter would tell us, you're the first, you know, international band over here in, in the country since COVID lockdown. People were so, so happy to, to be out, like seeing a band that they love. I guess there weren't that many tours going on before that. There was also this weird you know, a nervous energy too, because people were still nervous to come out to a show. Our shows in Europe, typically, have always been sort of especially high energy. 
every show just felt like pretty euphoric. I think those European shows were the the shows where I was like, whoa, people are into this. <laughs> I just remember every night the turnout was just like, I couldn't even wrap my head around the size of the crowds. In many of these European cities, the band was actually playing much larger venues than we had done on our U.S. tour earlier in the year. And this allowed us to roll out our full, expanded lighting production. That's one of those things that's hard to appreciate from the stage. It's hard to, in the moment, sort of realize what it looks like. But at the same time, at that point, we'd seen enough pictures of our setup that it, we all knew what a difference it made. When we get into more of the arena shows and Ben, our lighting director, is able to kind of do his full thing, it gives me like a lot of energy on stage and inspires me when I'm seeing all that and feeling that. You know, Ben is, is basically the eighth member of the band at this point. Arguably, he knows, he knows the songs better than I do sometimes. You know, with who's coming in, it's amazing how in control of what every single person is doing on stage at any given time. It's so hard from the stage to like truly understand all that Ben is doing. But I feel like when he had his full rig, there would be moments where like, you could tell that it wasn't us that people were freaking out about. You know, like he would make a shift and the cr and you could feel the crowd just get so pulled into it. And then that would pull you into that moment in a way that like you weren't playing into before. We finally had this amazing rig he had built um, and we were able to use it for most of the European shows since they were in such large places. For Ben, that's like the same as for us being like, oh yeah, we've got our all of our gear that we want to perform on. Those days where you get on stage for soundcheck and you're stepping over stuff to get on stage, um, you're like, oh yeah, this is a good one. Don't forget the head wound. Well, you do have to remember to step over the lights, which is unfortunately what I did not do in Copenhagen night one. The most memorable moment of the entire touring cycle. Oh man, it was, that was scary. That was scary. My uh, covert attempt to dash onto the stage while the lights were off turned into something of a spectacle when I fell headlong into Anthony's keyboards. You ended up going into my keyboards and fully like knocking them over. With the side of my face. But at the time, I didn't realize that you hit your head. I thought you just like fell into them. And it wasn't until after the song that it became apparent that like, you know, you had like cut your head and were bleeding and... Well, I left the stage very briefly so that uh, the emergency services could make sure I was good to continue. And I finished the gig and after the show, a very nice Danish military surgeon stitched me up backstage. He's okay today. He's feeling much better today, everybody. Took a spill last night. It's his birthday in three hours. This song's with Dom. It's called Pain. I do remember that day off in uh, Stockholm being like, oh, hey, we're, we're on tour here. We're like walking around buying stupid shit together. Europe did feel a little more opened up than the U.S. had when we'd been on tour earlier in the year. A couple guitar shops, a couple record stores, a bunch of coffee. It felt great. That said, we were also still very conscious of keeping healthy for the sake of the tour. Nonetheless, despite our best efforts, it was hard to avoid the inevitable. I think that's where I got COVID. 
We lost John for a week of shows, but we had him mostly back when we hit the stage at the Olympia in Paris. John was drawing diagrams about like how droplets travel through a saxophone, come out the other end, and we were like, we could cover the saxophone in saran wrap. Who talks about that? About like airflow and like weight of droplets and like their velocity through air. And we were like looking up charts of like which horned instruments like had the greatest saliva splatter. And it was like, well, you know, Barry Sachs is on the is on the low end of COVID splatter. <laughs> John's theories. Here we go. Buckle up. But the thing is, at the time, you know, I, I just I remember that I was Googling like, you know, there are people doing studies of, you know, band instruments for schools and things. Obviously, like when I'm blowing through a saxophone, there's air coming from deep, deep, deep in my lungs and being pushed out with considerable force. And I'm right behind Robbie, without whom we absolutely cannot do shows. So I think it was just out of an abundance of caution. For my first couple shows back, even though I was testing negative, I uh, shouldn't play horn. We always had a great time in Paris. We had great shows, but there was always this thing around those shows that was like, oh, you don't do as well in Paris as you do in this other place. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that was the first show where it was like lit. That place was shaking. It was batshit. We had such an amazing show that night. Oh man, that was an all time gig. I felt like the floor was moving. It felt like I was hallucinating because everything was starting to wobble. I feel like Paris was the most exciting show. There was something like really amazing about that. It was like, it wasn't full drugs because we didn't have the sax, but it was like full drugs, you know? It was just a fucking ripping show. Having John back made it extra triumphant. I think the audience was amazing. Just that venue is so legendary. I just love when you have a show where you have something to prove. There's always something to prove, but especially there's nights like in Paris where you just feel like it was on the line. I don't feel sometimes like we dominate. You know, I know we do in the objective, you know, but I don't feel it on the stage. And that night in Paris, I was like, oh man, like that was ripping. That's in the top three all-time shows for me, I think. A friend of mine was like up in the balcony and like, I think we didn't get to hang out, but I like looked up and, you know, we kind of like waved at each other from the stage and from the balcony, I was like, felt like a weird triumphant dream. There's that crazy thing where like we can play a random show and we walk off stage and Adam will be like, ah, man, my ears were clogged up and I don't know, it was like in my head. And then John will be like, oh my God, I had the greatest show of my entire life. But in Paris, every single one of us had the same experience. We all came off the stage and we're like, holy shit. That was the most amped crowd of the entire tour. Just was awesome. Crowd was amazing. Went outside after the gig and there was like people there waiting to meet us. And it was like, oh, whoa, it was like something's happening in Paris. Like 
it was, you could just feel that it was like all the effort you put into that show, getting there. People were like so grateful and they had a great time and epic, just an epic night. After Paris, we hit the UK for shows, including one at London's O2 Arena, the same venue where we had closed out our 2018 tour. We took a very crowded ferry ride to and from Dublin for an amazing show. But when we got back to the UK, at some point, Robbie tested positive. There's no show without Robbie. So you gotta figure out how to keep going because we were at the point in the tour where if we had to shut down the tour, it's just like a complete catastrophe. Yeah, we also did like a sound check without Robbie once. It was like, sound like <laughs> or something. <laughs> sound like Where's all the music? <laughs> Awkward. We isolated Robbie from the rest of the tour party. And as he continued to recover, he traveled separately. It was very lonely. That part was tough. We were playing really big gigs and I was showing up on the loading dock every day with two masks on. But we still had our biggest shows to play. The business of touring is not built around the idea that if you're sick, you cancel. Despite all the drama going on behind the scenes, the shows themselves were incredible. On several occasions, the unbridled enthusiasm from the crowd resulted in the throwing of beer. Berlin was when they were throwing beers. It was crazy. People are throwing perfectly fine beer in the air, unconsumed, full containers. And for some reason in Edinburgh, Adam challenged the crowd to throw the beers at the stage. Tactical error. You know, he asked and uh, they, they obliged. <laughs> and although cleaning up beer splattered gear provided a new challenge for those of us working on stage, backstage, our tour manager, Craig, was facing his own logistical nightmare. That day in Cologne, I really was like, none of this is like worth it. The stress is like a burden on my like health. I sympathize with Craig. I mean, on one hand, you're, you're experiencing this amazing thing, having great shows, playing to a ton of people. They're so excited to see this band they hadn't seen in four years. And we're consumed with like something we cannot control, which is like, keeping this tour on the road. It was just really emotionally draining. We were playing huge places and all we could really think about was like, is somebody sick? As the tour wound down and we prepared for two massive arena shows in the Netherlands and Belgium, Craig was not only faced with the challenge of keeping everyone healthy so we could play the shows, but also healthy enough that we would all test negative so that we could re-enter the United States at tour's end. The last two weeks of tour were stressful because everyone's like, if you got COVID in that window, you wouldn't be able to fly home until you were negative. So it added a whole new wrinkle. 
Oh man, remember that? Like, are we gonna get are we gonna get stuck here for ten days? Thankfully, like talking to the band, they're like so cool about it. You know, they were worried about me. You know, because I'm like losing my mind, worried about them and the crew, and then with COVID. And I mean, the band were so great at just being like, "Hey, man, you can't control this." You know, at least I wasn't on tour with people that were like, "You're supposed to be responsible for a global pandemic and getting us through it." Despite all the anxieties, we still did manage to enjoy ourselves whenever we had some downtime. And as per usual, this often involved record shops and coffee. We had a day off in Birmingham. Dave found a copy of Second Suicide Record, 200 quid. We were going to go back and get it, and then it was closed. Well, I should have just got it when I saw it instead of uh, taking a picture of it. Matthew took us on like that coronary tour. Where he's like, how much espresso do you think I can clog into my fucking heart right now? And then, like, you took that great photo of him next to the defibrillator. Munich. That's when I found Jimmy. Jimmy at a beer garden with, like, a 96-ounce beer stein and maybe 150 milligrams of THC coursing through his veins. And I don't think he even recognized me. Because I just was, like, exploring the city by myself. And I was like, hey, it's Jimmy. And I, like, went over and sat down. And he looked like a, like an animal wearing a human mask. <laughs> He was so fucking twisted up. He had a beer the size of his torso and clearly had just had a handful of gummies. But he looked totally at ease and, and happy, so God bless him. In late April, we pulled into Amsterdam for the second to last show of the tour. I remember Amsterdam, Ziggo Dome, that was sick gig. 17,000 people. Which is, I think, the biggest headlining show we've ever played. Yeah, I remember being nervous. I was like, I got on that stage. I was like, this is intense. This was not an intimate show. This was, you know, this was a sold out arena show. This is the show. This is, you're doing your full show for all the people that would fit in this fucking place. Big shows like that, I always just try to make sure, like, look out into the audience at some point and, like, really appreciate what's happening and that this is something most people dream about. I and mean, this is something that I dreamed about as a kid to be able to do and to be able to do it. It's a very special thing. Those last two shows, the, the energy was there in those rooms in a way it hadn't been when we played similar sized rooms in the past, in my opinion. It was just like awesome, awesome, awesome way to end that tour for sure. You know, we do great in that part of the world, Amsterdam and Belgium and playing these huge places and we get to have this crazy production and... It's a pinch me thing. It's definitely a pinch me thing. Because I have loved them for 15 years, it has. It was always exciting for me from afar to watch them sort of grow into the band that they are. But it's it's such a funny experience to just like drop in at the top. <laughs> you know, like I paid no dues. <laughs> now having played big arenas like that multiple times is like also an interesting experience too that stress or whatever like the expectations of the capital b big show is gone a little bit and you could just play another one we're walking off the stage was just like man i can't believe like we're 
I can't believe this is our reality, you know? It's still climbing, like the band is still... The whole last year, it was like the band was still... Growing after all these years, you know? And it always felt like there was there's so much room for more growth. We ended it at the Sports Palais in Antwerp, where we ended our Deeper Understanding Arena tour. And that was, um, that was another just great show. It did feel really good to get on that plane. <laughs> Finally, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty sweet feeling of, like, accomplishment, like we did this. After... The Little Rock, Arkansas depression. I just kind of assumed that was going to be the rhythm of touring for the whole year. There was going to be like, play some shows, cancel some shows, play some shows, cancel some shows. And it is absolutely incredible that we didn't have to cancel. And it's a testament to, honestly, how hard we worked to keep protocols in place and how disciplined everyone in the band and crew was. It's amazing that we pulled it off like that. We did. We pulled it off. 21 shows in 32 days. However many stitches and tubes of super glue it took to put my head back together. We didn't cancel any shows. And although I know it was extraordinarily stressful at times, hands down, one of my favorite tours of all time. That said, we have a lot more touring to do. So we'll see you next time.
The super high quality podcast is put together by me, Dominic East, but I couldn't do it without Adam's help. Andrew Guerin helps with the final mix, and Austin Asnavanda helps with the audio clips. I'd like to thank the guys in the band. Adam Gronowski. Anthony Lamarca. Bobby Bennett. Charlie Hall. Dave Hartley. John Natchez. Liza Hardy-Jones. As well as our tour manager, Craig McQuiston. And the entire Drugs crew. Stage right, stage left, front of house, backstage. You guys are the best.